This is Radio Influence. Podcasting redefined. You are sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Sitting Ringside. My name is David Penzer, and we're so glad that you are here once again each and every week to hear this thing that we call a podcast. I am excited for this week. I even did a contest, gave away a little piece of memorabilia from my personal collection. Uh, We have uh, two guests, uh, one that will be talking about a career that should be a Hall of Fame career, and another who's... Both of these guys are good friends of mine, but another who's a super close friend of mine who uh, will be talking about going into the Hall of Fame uh, at WrestleMania weekend this year. I'm talking about uh, B. Brian Blair and uh, Jeff Jarrett, Double J. So I'm excited to have both of them on. Uh, ran a little contest, so congratulations uh, to Nick Mayberry, the winner of the contest, who guessed B. Brian Blair. G- gave some clues. and. Uh, so maybe we'll try that. Let us say, let us know what you think about that kind of stuff. Uh, I'm new to all this, so uh, social media stuff. So uh, if you like that kind of stuff and you like the chance to, to win an autographed old-time magazine, I think this was a 1979 magazine with Greg Valentine on the cover, autographed by Greg when he was my boss at the XWF. So uh, let us know, at David Penzer, all one word, at Penzer Ringside is the handle for the show and uh you could email me if you'd like uh with any questions or any comments at david penzer all one word at radioinfluence.com david penzer at radioinfluence.com so uh we're excited to get this thing going and uh to start things off want to bring on a good friend of mine and the newest inductee in the 2018 WWE Hall of Fame, Double J, Jeff Jarrett. Ladies and gentlemen, last week on City Ringside on this very podcast, I was pontificating about how excited I was for my friend Jeff Jarrett uh, to be going into the Hall of Fame. I think I even mentioned, uh, and I'm not kissing ass, Jeff. I did. Uh, you could go back and listen how you were one of the smarter guys that I met and was talking about how you were... Uh, light years ahead of most everybody in the business on digital media and different forms of uh, the different forms of uh, uh, platforms we have now, um, other than regular television. And um, so, turn the lights out, bar the doors. Uh, Jeff Jarrett. Uh, one week I'm I'm kissing your butt. The next week uh, you're on the podcast. It's funny how that works. But uh, welcome to City Ringside. How are you, sir? Congratulations. If your lips are moving, they're lying. So I don't believe a word you just said. About I did say week. that. Ah, oh, come on. Dave. I did you say had, You hadn't said a kind word about me since I met you in 1995. What are you talking about? I, I honestly did say that. But, uh, okay. but congratulations okay. on, uh, on these, I would say, the surprise uh, induction into the Hall of Fame. But I, I want to go back first and um, uh, set the scene. Uh, and you could talk, you know, out of respect for your privacy, you could talk as much or as little about uh, this as you want. But I, I just wanted to hit it real quick. Uh, last, well, time- You know what? But let me just cut you off. Some things never change. I almost feel like we're walking through an airport together or oh, or we're in a dressing room or whatever. Good old Penzer, and you're one of my long, long friends. But you never are afraid. Hey, Jeff. 
Will you answer a question for me? No, Dave, I won't. Okay, I'm still going to ask it anyway. <laughs> go, <laughs> go ahead, Dave. So I want to set the scene. Last time me and you saw each other in person was in September. Uh, you were my boss. I was the ring announcer. Uh, the last thing I said to you, I shook your hand and said, I'll see you at the next tapings. And you said, I look forward to it. Uh, neither of us went back. Everyone went back. Um, nobody cares that I didn't. But it was a little bit newsworthy that, that you did not. Uh, between the time that this, uh, this, this announcement of your induction in the Hall of Fame and the last time I've seen you, uh, could you update it all, the fans, on what's gone on, positive, negative, in the life of Jeff Jarrett? Uh, well, uh, I, I'm not sure. September wasn't a taping. I, you're talking about last August. Is that accurate? The last August taping? Uh, was it August? I did my research last night. Are you talking about at Impact Wrestling taping? Yes, Impact Wrestling. Uh, put your calendar out. Jeez. And so you never get your facts straight oh, I do, again. Oh, wait. You know what it is? I didn't get paid till September, so that's why some, I was thinking. Some things never change. I didn't uh, get paid till September, so that's why I'm thinking September. No, that that, that, that was in August. Uh, but anyway, obviously, uh, no need to, to delve into uh, any of that, but I will say this. Obviously, 2017 was a year of ups and downs for myself, both professionally and personally. But uh, as I sit here today, uh, you know, early January kicked off with a bang when I got the call, and then we announced it uh, seven or eight, nine days ago. And you know me, Dave. I, I'm not a guy that looks in the rearview mirror. Uh, so I'll just leave it at that, that, uh, yeah, there were a lot of ups and downs and, uh, that's the business though. It, it won't be the first time, won't be the last time. Um, I'm talking about from, from a professional sense, uh, that, you know, some things don't always go, uh, like you want business and, 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 and in life as well. It, it's more or less how you respond if you get back up and, 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 and forge ahead. And that's exactly what I'm doing both professionally and personally. Well, I'm glad things are going well. Uh, and um, so we, we, we were both there uh, in Panama City, and one of the things that happened <laughs> that made the news is um, uh, you were publicly, I don't know if he said fired or, uh, or gone or, or, or uh, what, he, what Vince said, but uh, he, he made it clear uh, on that last night show that uh, you weren't going to be part of the deal. Um, and you, you hit the ground running. Uh, I was in the, doing the XWF at the time. You were trying to get the... Uh, TNA thing, uh, weekly pay-per-views going, and you never look back. Uh, but knowing that not only, you know, were you probably not Vince's favorite guy at the time, but you also became his competition at one point, probably his biggest competition that he had. Uh, did you, was it ever a thought in your mind that you might be in the WWE Hall of Fame? No. Oh, Lord, no. Not, not, not in my wildest imagination. But uh, as the NBC Sports reporter said, uh, he, he opened with his line, the, 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 guy, the writer, Scott Dargis, who did an excellent job. He led with never say never in this business, and I kind of think it's appropriate. But, you know, Dave, I was just doing a um, uh, reminiscing a, a couple of days ago, uh, and that Panama City Beach, uh, you know, Vince McMahon does a lot of things good, and he knows how to write good TV. And, and, and that, that one vignette of maybe 90 seconds still gets talked about to this day. So that's damn good television. And sometimes light imitates art, and sometimes art imitates life. Uh, and in that case, you know, I had eight or nine months on my contract. So uh, it was, uh, again, I'll say a very, very compelling segment that we're still here talking about it today. Uh, but, you know, Dave, you were one of the guys that that, that, um, it, that was there that day, like you said. And that was, to me, what was, you know, in, in, in one aspect, it was, you know, a lot of uh, – 
stuff that people do know about with the talent and, you know, Flair and Sting closed it down and, and just the talent were there and Shane McMahon and everything that went with that night. But behind the scenes was something that I was reminiscing and talking about that, you know, the cameramen, audio, light, just everybody on the production side of things. That was, that was a really, really tough day or a tough weekend because they knew their gig was up. You know, they, sure. they knew WWE had uh, everything they needed for production. And I can remember the, the, the one of the 18 wheeler uh, tractors um, that held all the scenic and, and all that kind of stuff. That, that, that situation like, Hey, this is it. You want any of this stuff on here? And, you know, uh, just, just that side of things. And, and, and during this hall of fame situation, I've been, uh, you know, I've sort of been, uh, uh, forced to look back in the rearview mirror. Uh, but that was one of the conversations that I had the other day that I really conjured up some emotions that, um, Dave, you know, you, you knew them all as well as I did some better and, and that situation, but that was really an emotional charge weekend. Uh, for so many reasons, but um, everyone's moved on. That was many moons ago, but uh, yeah, the vignette that night that Vince did, and, and uh, another thing that's really coincidental out of this entire situation that some people uh, didn't draw together is that my last night with WWF happened in Cleveland. Ironically, uh, two years or almost two years later, October of uh, 99 was when I left WWF, and then March of 2001, so a year and a half later, they're back in Cleveland, and that is where the simulcast happened. We were in Panama City. They were in Cleveland. So it's funny how uh, the town of Cleveland, um, uh, you know, had, had two ending nights, quote-unquote, on screen for, for, for myself. There's a lot of coincidences in this story, as you pointed out, uh, you know, on other media platforms that you've done. Uh, I know the first match that you had is going to be the same date as uh, your induction. And uh, – so there's a lot of coincidences, and and I think that you know you you're one that believes that everything happens for a reason, but it, it sometimes it's kind of eerie when you think of all the, the 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 things that all go together. You know, 20 years later, I got a question for you. Uh, after uh, obviously Karen and the kids were the first people you told. After after Karen and the kids, who's the first person that you were able to tell that you were going into the Hall of Fame? Well, my dad. It, it would would probably be the natural, but what uh, we sent him an article that came, that, that NBC article, Karen actually did, but they were up in the mountains, way up in the mountains, no cell service, and they were no skiing. So I didn't really get to have a one-on-one conversation with him until, gosh, it was the next day. Uh, no, they traveled back that day, but we had texted and said, we'll talk when you get back. Um, I don't know. I, the, the, the Sort of the, a couple of stories that I chuckled to myself or, or the guys, uh, here locally that I'm longtime friends with, but I, I, I won't say that they don't follow wrestling day in, day out. Sure. I don't want to say they're not wrestling fans, but you know, they, they, when it, when the news broke and it was all over the local news here, um, which was flattering, but man, it really, really blew up here locally. Um, and you know, I was getting calls and texts, especially my close friends. They were like, well, why didn't you tell me? And I can't believe you held out. I'm like, it wasn't any of your business. <laughs> and so, that, that was kind of fun that, that, you know, and Karen was like, you know, uh, we got the call in early January and, it, you know, February the 19th, I think is when it broke. So that was a while. And Karen was like, God almighty, I want to get this out. But we didn't tell my daughters for after a couple of weeks, but uh, you can relate to this when you got teenagers in the house and, and they go snooping around and they sort of drew two and two together because they were looking at the, the computer that was in the kitchen and, and Karen had left some screen up and, 
one thing led to another, and they started asking questions. So Karen had to break down, but we kept it a secret. That was what we were instructed to do. And, you know, being a third-generation guy, I don't mind doing that. Uh, it's a lot of fun. And when the news did break, uh, to me, it made it all that much more fun that, you know, even uh, with the enormous machine WWE is, I thought they did. And I got texts from people within uh, WWE that they were really, really happy at how, you know, it was kept quiet. You know, it, it broke a few days before, but there was still speculation. But uh, it was fun. Uh, as you know, being in the business all the years you have, uh, surprises are fun. Yeah. Uh, regardless, of, regardless of what anybody says, uh, a great surprise in professional wrestling. Is, is part of the magic that makes this business so much fun. That's why the Royal Rumble is my, my favorite pay-per-view every year is because you honestly don't know who's going to come out, and uh, it's always fun to be surprised. Give, uh, did you have any say in the photo that, they were, that they're using? Now, what do you think? You've been in this. <laughs> Hell no. Uh, I, I will say this. What were, your, what, were your, what were your thoughts when you saw it? Because, you know, it's old school. <laughs> well, a mutual friend of ours, I'll leave him nameless right now, he, he that's the first thing he did a screen grab and said, could they have got a picture of you looked any more younger <laughs> and with your hat? Uh, that was Anyway, it was, you know, I kind of think that was probably a classic Double J shot. There was a couple other ones that, that they that they could have used Double J. I had a feeling that, that they, it was definitely going to be a Double J era photo just because of the history and, and how they things, you know, how they roll things out. So. Uh, it was fun. Uh, you know, my daughters were, 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 were not even born when, when Double J was around uh, that creation. So it's been fun for them as well. Uh, it's been fun for uh, myself and, and other people and, and folks that I haven't connected with in a while. And, and they're bringing up guitar shots. And I'm getting, direct, you know, texts and posts and direct messages and all kinds of stuff like that of, of, of different photos of me throughout the years. So it's fun. Definitely fun. Now, the song is making a comeback. and. Uh... I used to, I, I don't know if I ever had a conversation with you about it, but I used to uh, talk to Brian Armstrong about it a lot. And, and I, I, I thought the song was catchy as hell when it came out. And I used to say to Brian, man, you know, it, you could have a number one country single if they just do something with it. When, when you did the song, was, was there any thought about releasing it uh, to the masses or was it, uh, you know, just to do the angle with you and uh, uh, the roadie? Well, no, I mean, they, there was obviously... Uh, Big, big plan. I, I, I'm not sure about releasing it, but, you know, in, in the 90s, breaking a single on, on country radio is completely different than it is now. Um, and, and you know, I, I, that, that song it has made a resurgence. Brian can sing his arse off. Yeah, he always could. has been, uh, you know, riding up and down the road in the cars with that guy. And when he goes into whatever, he, he can sing anything. Country, rock, rap, he is soda had gum talented it, yeah. it's amazing uh but but man that that, that song and zach Ryder did zach and uh Dolph ziggler did that tweet the other day but i've had guys over the years but no it's it's uh this day and age the way uh music is distributed and, and the platform um it has definitely had a resurgence and um i can't tell you how many posts or texts or i don't know how, you know all the different forms of communication uh, that I've been asked about that song. So um, it's definitely at the forefront. So it's going to be interesting to see how that rolls out over the next coming week, um, if that's going to have a role or not uh, on, on Hall of Fame night. Yeah, I'd love to see it get a shot at, uh, at see if it could uh, go uh, country, uh, countrywide, because I always thought it could. Hey, I know your time is limited. 
another big surprise, probably almost stole, kind of stole the spotlight from your surprise. It's a good thing it happened afterwards was uh, your close friend and, and, and someone we both know, Jeremy Borash, going to uh, WWE, wondering what your thought on that was. And did he reach out to you for advice? I know you guys are really close. We, we exchanged texts. Uh, I'll leave it at that. But, you know, um, I, I couldn't be. It's, it's well documented. I mean, we, we were close before TNA was caught up uh, in the WCW days. Uh, but, so, you know, Jeremy has always um, on screen. He, he uh, and this is all due respect to me and Gene Okerlund. Uh, and it's ironic. They're both from Minnesota. Uh, but Jeremy has a very uncanny way. Of, of 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 being a a host, a backstage interview, um, much more than a ring announcer like you. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but but no, he, he he he's got he he has an uncanny ability uh, to really evoke emotion uh, without uh, w- w- with the talent that he interviews. Um, and so that's on screen, off screen. It, it, it's also been documented. You know his his creative skills. I don't want to just say his production skills. Uh, but, you know, or editing skills, but just his creative skills. So um, I think it's fantastic. You know, he had a, uh, a obviously a very long run uh, w- with TNA. And I kind of think, um, knowing Jeremy as well as I do, uh, this is a brand new challenge for him. And uh, creative guys like new challenges. And so uh, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see uh, him progress in his career. Uh, just like anybody else, but uh, no, I'm excited for the guy uh, in, in so many ways. Sure, and it's a good thing he was so go so good at the backstage stuff because when I first came to TNA, uh, it was supposed to be a couple weeks thing, and it uh, because he was so good at uh, doing that stuff, I ended up lasting five years that first time. So uh, thank God he was five, so good. Were, were you there five years on that first run? Five years on that first run, and and ironically enough, the only reason that it stopped was because. If you remember, uh, Eric and um, Jason Hervey were kind of went away from JB, and they were asking questions themselves behind the uh, behind the camera, sort of a different kind of format. And so, you know, since uh, you know JB was an employee and you know much more valuable to the company, and I was an independent contractor, you know, they 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 moved him back to ring announcer. But uh, but yeah, the you know, wow. if if, uh, if that wouldn't. Uh, if that wouldn't have happened and he would continue to be able to do what he's so good at backstage, uh, who knows? I would have been a, maybe a 10 year or 12 year thing. A couple more questions. I know your time is valuable. Speaking of, um, of TNA impact wrestling, uh, I know you never say never, you never know what's going to happen, but if you had one, one piece of advice that you could give to Ed and Don Callis and Scott Demore uh, on the, on their moving forward, what would, what, what would it be? That's a good question. Uh, Dave, you said you were going to try to answer. You know, um, I'd have to really sit and think about that. One piece of advice, you know, um, it, 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 it goes without saying they've got their challenges in front of them. Um, and, and so this side of the, I'll call it the armchair quarterback or hindsight 2020 or anything like that. Um, but but uh, at the end of the day, uh, define leadership. Um, uh, whether it's the New England Patriots, um, uh, the Alabama Crimson Tide, uh, any pro team, any organization, any wrestling company, any business, uh, define who the leader is and get behind them and go full force. 
um, because that's just the nature specifically of the wrestling business. And, and that's what I've, you know, spent my entire adult life in. So I can't speak for other businesses, but, but, but from the outside looking in at businesses or uh, pro sports franchises or entertainment companies, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm partners with production companies and, and have seen successful ones, you know, uh, it, 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 it's, uh, it, leadership, it, it, you know, you look at Vince, it, 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 it's the perfect example. Um, uh, he's led that company, um, uh, for many, many years. Uh, and, and, and to be successful, that's what it takes. You got to have a clear cut leader. And, and that would be, you know, if there's one piece of advice, that's exactly what it would be. Any status on global force wrestling? Yeah. Uh, I was just the, the prior interview that I did. I got into that. I was uh, do, doing an interview uh, with a uh, they're uh, they're German based or are they I don't, I don't want to say they're just German. I mean uh, I don't know if they're Austria. Anyway, the platform that I was talking to, they were talking we were talking about the international thing, and that's where all my energies are. Or I don't say all, but you know the majority, by far the majority, is a couple of international projects that I'm working on, and and uh, I believe that's the real from a global perspective. Uh, part of the plan, but you know, from, from a from, from a from complete uh, thirty thousand view perspective of the wrestling industry, international growth uh, is where uh, it's at, um, and you can just look around the world, whether it's uh, Southeast Asia, uh, India, um, uh, all of Asia. You know, if you really want to get down to it, but there, the opportunities there, uh, to me, is where the real growth is going to take place. Um, you look at the United States or you look at North America, you know, including Canada, sure. um, it is, it is so dominant by the WWE, you know, well above 90% market share. Um, and, and, and so, you know, uh, it, it goes without saying, um, they are the Coca-Cola, they are the Kleenex, they are the brand name. Uh, but internationally, uh, yeah, they're strong, but they're, I, I believe there's, there's a lot of opportunity, Europe, uh, sub-Saharan Africa. Uh, there's just a lot of opportunities internationally, and, and that's where uh, my energies are focused at. Two more questions, then I'll let you go. Thank you for your time, my friend. Uh, I know you've said never say never, and I know you've said that nothing's been discussed. Uh, all that just said about Global Force and what you'd love to do, uh, how much interest would you have in possibly continuing a relationship with either WWE or NXT or a combination either in front of or behind the cameras? You know, I, obviously that that over specifically the last few days has really been asked and prodded and people have asked. And, um, you know, I will be completely transparent. The only discussions I've had with WWE are as it relates to the Hall of Fame and access and everything that goes with that weekend. Uh, and so, you know, uh, no need to discuss something that's not a reality. Uh, but as a businessman, absolutely, you'd be open to, 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 to any opportunity that's out there uh and, and you know it's it, you know a win and a win makes a win uh so sure. uh, it, it, it just depends on uh the situation but uh any businessman would would be open to the listing to opportunity yeah i was it's unfortunate i was at the last two hall of fames as a guest of fit finley because i was in uh, uh for wrestlecon and all that and um uh, i'm not gonna be able to make it to new orleans this year so uh uh, unless you find, oh, great. unless you, unless you find somebody who wants to book me and, um, and, and then, uh, oh. I'll hit, I'll hit old fit up and, uh, I'd love to, to hear your speech, but if I can't be there, uh, I'll definitely be watching live on, on, uh, on 
WWE Network for nine ninety nine a month. Uh, final, <laughs> f- final, final, final question. On a scale of one to a hundred, with a hundred being for sure no problem and one being not a chance in hell, as Vince McMahon would say, no chance in hell. What are the chances of my name being mentioned in your induction speech? Oh. Wow, that's the easiest <laughs> question I've been asked in, in the last 13 or 14 days. Uh, wait, what is the scale? One to a hundred? Yeah. Zero. Ah. Uh, so that's a negative. Oh, well, now I'm not. completely <laughs> transparent with you. I'm kidding, Dave. I'm kidding, Dave. Oh, me, I'm just, work. I'm playing. I, I, I would we, be honored, but I would be honored, but there's a, uh, there's probably a hundred people, if not 500 people more important in your journey than I am, but I'm just nice to be a cog in the wheel. Some would say I'm a Jeff Jarrett guy. I don't know if, uh, what you think about that, but, uh, you know, I love it, Dave. You know, we've worked off and on together for for a lot of years and we always do like to give each other a hard time. Sure. But I I appreciate you having me on today and we've had a lot of fun and, and I do appreciate our friendship. Uh, and I do, uh, you know, uh, last year's a perfect Testament. Uh, we needed a ring announcer. Uh, because of the way things were going down. And um, I can remember uh, it not even being a question in my mind. I got a little pushback from some individuals. And I'm like, (laughs) are you kidding me? The guy can do it in his sleep. And he's, uh, you still got a voice. I hate to, I hate to compliment you, but I will. All right. Hey, Uh, yeah, thank you. I appreciate (laughs) it. I I am so excited for you. uh, And, um, like you said, some surprises are, are fun surprises, and this is certainly was a fun surprise for me, and I'm sure you and your family are over the moon. Congratulations to your dad and Karen and the kids, and uh, I'll, I'll be watching one way or another, whether it's there in New Orleans uh, or, uh, or on television. Thank you for your time, and uh, let's stay in touch. Uh, you, still need to, you still had promised to tell the story about when Kurt Angle beat the ever-living hell out of me. Uh, so, oh, so. I got to come back home. I got, we got that, that podcast in and of itself. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I, 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 and, and if you've got pictures of that, that'll be great. Uh, 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 things to post. Tune in not, to find out why, why, when, and where this happened. Not only pictures, <laughs> I got video of it happening and I got after pictures of me looking like the elephant man. So I uh, will never, ever forget me walking around and looking at you going, Dave, and I was a little bit in shock. And then once I knew that you, you know, you're all right, I just busted, I busted out. I'm like, oh my God, you swelled up. Anyway, that's for another podcast. Yeah. Uh, well, Dave, Dave, I appreciate your time today, hey, bud. Congr- and, uh, take care. Take care of the family. Tell hello to the family. And uh, we'll, 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 we'll stay in touch. Boy, that was fun. I want to thank Jeff Jarrett for that. I know he's getting uh, tons of inquiries for media. And he uh, was able to get us in his schedule uh, at the right time so that we could get it on this week uh, for this podcast. And I uh, want to really thank him. And congratulations again. Uh, he's a good guy and has done a lot for a lot of people in this business, as you'll be hearing about probably over the next month or so. And you've already heard Bobby Roode, AJ Styles, and uh, people like that talking about uh, everything that they owe to the chances that Jeff Jarrett gave them and the opportunities. So that was fun. Uh, we're going to continue with the fun, ladies and gentlemen. I uh, want to bring on a veteran of this business, a man who wears a lot of hats. He's been a professional wrestler. He's been a businessman. He's been a politician. And he is the president in charge of the Cauliflower Alley Club. Also uh, runs a Florida Wrestling Legends Lunch, which 
actually honored me. Uh, the most humbling thing that probably happened in my career, uh, to be, uh, in a club with, uh, legends like Gordon Soley, uh, Jack and Jerry Briscoe, uh, Steve Kern, uh, Dusty Rhodes, and, uh, and, and this man himself, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to City Ringside, Brian Blair. Ladies and gentlemen, talk about a man who has worn many, many hats in a short life that he has lived, a professional wrestler, a business owner successfully, a successful politician, uh, now the head of the Cauliflower Alley Club, and we'll get into that, not to mention the, uh, the Little Legends Lunch that uh, here in Tampa that was nice enough to uh, give me my greatest honor that I've ever had in, in this business that I love talking about brian blair uh brian welcome to sydney ringside great to have you wow it is so exciting to be here with the man david penzo right on city ringside and you know david i'm excited you know it's great to see you at legends lunch and i got so excited today that i had to slide down i-75 and get off of the beesville exit and stop at hazel's honey hut where i picked up a quarter orange blossom special just for your show so I chugged it on down, and my toes started tapping. So now I'm ready for some jawjacking and some backcracking with there you, you, Mr. Penzer. There you go. There you go. I'm glad you got you got yourself in the right mood. Here, so uh, here we go. Uh, wanted to talk about, I know you broke in here in Florida in the wrestling business under Hero Matsuda uh, right around the same time as uh, Hulk Hogan. Uh, what was it like breaking in with Hulk? <laughs> Well, actually, this is the deal. Um, I used to go to the matches with Terry uh, before um, we even uh, broke in or got in with Hiro Matsuda, Eddie Graham, and the championship wrestling, championship uh, uh, Florida wrestling promotion. Um, and the armory on Tuesday nights would always be packed because you didn't have the Tampa Bay Bucks and you didn't have the, uh, you didn't have the lightning or the rays or anything. I mean, wrestling was it. So it was the most exciting thing, uh, that ever happened to us as kids. And we dreamed about being wrestlers. And of course, Jack Briscoe was my hero. Um, Terry had different heroes that he liked. He was more into the heels. I was more into the baby faces, but, um, nonetheless, we both wanted to become wrestlers. So, um, Eddie Graham, Steve Kern, uh, Jack Briscoe, Gerald Briscoe, Mike Graham. Um, came to a few of my amateur wrestling matches, two of them, not a few, two. And um, I got a lot of coverage from Andy Hardy on television um, um, for, and also from the now defunct Tampa Tribune, uh, which is um, swallowed up by the Tampa Bay Times. Um, and, uh, everybody knew my life story kind of that I was from very humble beginnings. My parents were divorced when I was 13. I lived on my own since I was 16 and I was just doing whatever I could to make a dollar. So, um, and we, uh, I got an invitation then to, uh, before, while I was in college at the university of Louisville, actually before, while I was still at uh, Tampa Bay tech high school to come down for a tryout. And, um, well, during the summer, the, as soon as I got out of school, um, my senior year, uh, I did that and it was grueling. It, all, all, 
either Orndorff, Hogan, or several of the other guys I'll mention hadn't been to um, the dungeon at 106 North Albany Street yet, the famous dungeon where people have left without their clothes screaming in the streets, bloodied <laughs> and battered. So, um, you know, at first first day I'm with him at Sue, he makes me do all these push-ups, sit-ups, then we get in and do amateur wrestling, and now he starts hooking me, and, uh, you know, I don't know anything about uh, jiu-jitsu or, you know, hooking, you know, that uh, came to be popular when the UFC came about, but anyway, they knew it then, and Carl Gotch and the other guys that came down there were excellent hookers, and it's, to be an amateur wrestler with a hooker, you're automatically at a disadvantage because, you know, you tight waist them and they'll double wrist lock you. Uh, whatever you do, there's a, a counter uh, when you grab them uh, because the rules aren't the same as you know, David. Sure. So after the first day I threw up, there was nothing left in me. Uh, went home a little dejected, but uh, still excited. Second day, boom, same thing and threw up. And, uh, you know, those guys were merciless. And uh, the third day, I rolled out of the ring and Matt Suda was waiting for me to puke and I didn't puke. So he took his foot, lifted up my uh, head via my chin and his foot. And he said, what's the matter, boy? You don't puke today. And I said, well, Mr. Matsuda, um, I haven't eaten since the last time I threw up. Oh and God. he turned his head, which is a true story. And he turned his head and, um, uh, you know, it's not a good feeling throwing up when it, like that. And uh, he turned his head, and I could tell he was smiling. And because I saw his ears lift up in his skin. So the fourth day, he was a little easier on me. And as we got going, it was better and better. And, and soon Orndorff came. Uh, the next summer, Orndorff came. And um, I went back to college, but uh, coming back to to the uh, dungeon on Albany Street, Orndorff came, Mr. Wonderful. And he was so strong and tough. You know, I used to sell sodas at the Tampa Stadium and um, watch number 40, Paul Orndorff, uh, play football. And, of course, another one of my dear beloved uh, friends who has gone to heaven, um, uh, Freddie Solomon, who was a tremendous athlete, the only person that beat his records at uh, with the San Francisco 49ers, his football records is Jerry Rice's receiving records. Sure. So um, then um, um, Hogan came the third summer. And um, that's when I quit college my junior year. And, um, you know, Terry hung in there. It was tough. Uh, he, they finally, um, you know, they got him to kind of quit. And he came back and Matsuda broke his ankle. Uh, not in the dungeon, but over at his other place. And um, he came back again and uh, after that and stayed real tough. And, you know, I uh, started wrestling on kind of a fluke. I was going to go back to college, but uh, one of the referees didn't show up in um, Jacksonville, so they needed a referee. Eddie Graham asked me if I wanted a referee. I said, I have no idea how to referee Eddie. And so he said, well, you know how to amateur wrestle. I know that. And you know, when your shoulders are down, uh, you're pinned and except in wrestling count to three thousand one thousand two thousand three, they're pinned. That's all you got to know. Keep them apart. Uh, if they're outside for 20, disqualify them for the count of 20. I said, okay, okay, okay. So I'm listening. And, um, 
I'm trying to think of the two guys, uh, Bear, um, oh, oh, Butcher Vachon was one of them. And I think it was Angela Moscow, not Angela Moscow, Angela Papo. Papo? Yeah, in, uh, in Jacksonville, yes. And so I refereed and uh, one of their shoulders were down. I forget which one it was right now, but I counted three. And they got up and they were so pissed at me. They had me in the corner and I was almost in tears crying because they told me I screwed the whole match up and, I, you know, my career was over and all this stuff. And, oh, my gosh, that's probably the most dejected I can remember being. And I got to the back and it was all a big rib and, you know, <laughs> they were real happy. So Eddie Graham flew me in his plane and then I started wrestling a few days later and, um, had my first match with uh, Pat Patterson and Ivan Koloff and Skip Young was my partner on TV. And uh, soon after that, uh, Hogan and I, um, Terry had his first match with me in Chiefland, Florida. So um, that was really interesting because, you know, we worked real hard to set up this 15-minute Broadway that we knew we were going to have. And I rode with the Briscoes and uh, Terry rode with Pat Patterson and some of the heels. We used to pay trans in those days. It was a nickel a mile. You had to have your trans ready when you got out of the car. Sure. Uh, there was lots of rules. You had to be able to spizzy kizani because if you couldn't spizzy kizani and somebody told you to duck the punch or do like the punch, and you didn't know, uh, you didn't know Carney, you were going to get punched in the mouth. Uh, ask Steve Kern. Um, <laughs> Orton Jr. told him to do like, like the punch in Dade City, and Steve went, what? And boom. Both of his front teeth. Oh, wow. <laughs> yes, true story. So, um, uh, anyway, uh, uh, Terry and I go to Chiefland. Um, we're excited about our 15-minute Broadway. Um, you know, people don't understand how much stamina it takes to be in the wrestling ring, and I don't care how good a shape you're in in one sport, whether it's football, track, whatever. Wrestling is totally different. It's unbelievable. You know, you've got people out there. You've got adrenaline. You've got all this stuff that you have to learn to control mentally and um, how to, you know, relax and when to go and when to relax, when to do different things just to be able to, you know, to have a, have a match. Well, naturally, we're still learning this. I've had maybe, I don't know, uh, uh, 10, 15 matches, and this is Terry's first match. So, uh we get in the ring. He's the super destroyer. They put a mask on him because they didn't know what to do with him. Um, so we're, we're working in the ring and I, I snap married Terry or somehow I wound up in a rear chin lock. And I said, uh, Terry, look, 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 all, all the boys are out. Everybody loves this match. We're having a good match, man. Keep it up. They're watching us. We got to shine. So, um, I mean, Briscoe's were out there, Patterson, um, um, Frankie Mephisto, all, all these, the great Mephisto, all these different guys, characters were out there. And uh, um, they were all watching the match. So we're going along here, um, 10 minutes gone, and we're still feeling pretty good, but we're starting to suck wind a little bit. But we're, we got it, we got it, and we're having a decent match. So people are really, really into it. And all of a sudden, we're waiting... Um, for him to start counting the minutes and the guy's not counting the minutes. And I said, Terry, shit, man, it's gotta be two minutes, man. We gotta go home now. So we kicked it in and 
we started doing all of our spots. One, two, kick out, false finish, bing, boom, yo, the whole works. Maybe they come back and went into all the false finishes, and all of a sudden we hear 15 minutes gone, 30 minutes, I mean, 15 minutes gone, 15 minutes to go. <laughs> I love that. That's great. Yeah, they changed the time limit, and so that was probably the worst match either one of us ever had in my life. So did you actually go 30 minutes, or, or did you just go home? No, we we went the whole thirty minutes, and it was it was like ugly. And that would be watching two grapes uh, (laughs) dry in a hold, you know. (laughs) And and that would be the reason that there was a locker room uh, sellout. I'm assuming uh, that they were all watching to see how you guys dealt with the rib. I'm assuming. Exactly, Exactly. they all knew that it was a rib, so they were there (laughs) to watch the rib. And uh, of course. You know, it wasn't because they wanted to see how good we were. <laughs> you know, I thought they were checking us out to see if we were, you know, had a chance to make it in the business. <laughs> it was always a rib. I mean, I have so many rib stories, David. I could go on for I'm actually writing a book right now with ribs. I'm just uh, still trying to figure out how to uh, protect the guilty like myself. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, that's why we do this podcast because, you know, those, those stories are so... Uh... Precious and a lot of fans, you know, because of the way with the internet and the business being a lot more open than it certainly was back then. Uh, you know, we could certainly tell the stories a lot more freely that uh, entertained uh, the boys in the back because, you know, I like to say there were no cell phones, there was no internet, you know, uh, there was no, you know, so the only way to entertain yourself uh, in the life that you had as a wrestler, and you know this more than I do, is just to kind of rib each other. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you can probably go through and just name a name, and I could probably tell you a rib that uh, I was a part of or watched, saw, or uh, witnessed. And, um, you know, that's that's a lot of fun. Um, I've been very blessed to be able to uh, wrestle guys that were retiring uh, because I started in uh, late 77, June, July, maybe mid '77, and um, um, graduated from high school when I was 17. I just had a uh, real, uh, real passion for the business, and and that's the problem today. If you don't have a passion for for the business, you'll never make it. You just have to have a passion because we we weren't making any money. I mean. $25 payoff for two matches at TV. Um, you know, we drive all around the state. Monday would be, um, uh, like West Palm beach. Tuesday would be Tampa. Wednesday, you'd go do two tapings of television at 11 o'clock in the morning. Then you'd have to drive to Miami and back on Wednesday. If you were fortunate and had the money, you could pay 50 or $60, uh, and fly, but that might be your whole payoff. Sure. So then, then on Thursday, you go to Jacksonville, and Friday was either Fort Myers or another spot show. Saturday was Lakeland or St. Petersburg. Uh, Sunday was sometimes you had a double shot, uh, uh, Ocala at the High Life Fronton at 1 o'clock, and then Orlando every Sunday at uh, 7 or 8 o'clock. And um, this went on, you know, 365 days a year, basically. Yeah, it never stopped. So, it never stopped. It never stopped. And, uh, and I'm glad, you know, I've, uh, been, uh, to every state in America, every major city in America, and probably every city over, uh, a hundred or 150,000 people, including 50 different countries, 48 different countries. Wow. So, 
it's uh, it was like kind of you know joining the armed services without uh, actually joining the armed services and seeing the world. Hey, I don't because you're writing a book on it. Uh, because I don't want to take uh, three hours of your time. I'm not. I'm not going to name a whole bunch of names and ask if you know a rib about them. But uh, I'm just curious if you uh, have any Andre the Giant ribs that you uh, you're able to tell. <laughs> oh man oh man oh man yeah i i loved andre so much uh we had so much fun together it was amazing and uh of course dusty was one of my mentors i you know and um uh, i love dusty because he was around the whole time i was in championship wrestling from florida um even though i had been back three times um well i back two times i started there then came back twice in 82 and 85 and or 84 and um was able to win the uh florida heavyweight title twice uh the um, southern heavyweight title from rick rude uh it was rick rude jimmy garvin and jesse barr were the three different people that uh exchanged the title with but um you know then i got to wrestle flair and dory and you know guys for the world title so it was a lot of fun in florida but getting back to andre and dusty um <laughs> I got so many different stories, but I'll tell you one that uh, uh, is interesting to me. And uh, we had, we were in Jackson, Mississippi, and it was in the wintertime, probably January ish. And it was, it was, you know, cold. Uh, we were going to Greenville, which is 220 miles north of Jackson. Right. And um, anyway, I didn't tell anybody my heater was broken. I had a 72 Blue Lincoln Continental that I bought in high school. Um, because I was working so hard making money. And, uh, anyway, uh, still kept that car and Andre loved it because it was so big. It was the big blue, you know, the Lincoln town car. Sure. And, uh, um, Dusty comes up to me and he's in a West Texas long sleeve shirt. Uh, he had West Texas state on the front of his shirt. I don't know if he had a t-shirt on underneath, uh, Andre always, I don't care what the temperature was, wore what's called a Wyavea, like a, button up shirt. Uh, and, uh, I mean, he wore some things a couple other times, but, uh, eight, eight out of 10 times you would see him in a while. And, uh, he wore that in a t-shirt and he didn't worry because he drank enough to keep anybody warm. <laughs> so dusty comes up to me now. It's beautiful outside. So I'm thinking, Oh man, I'm not going to say nothing about this heater because it's, it's nice right now. It's about 40 degrees out, but you know, 40 degrees isn't real cold when the sun's shining and there's no wind. Sure. So he comes up to me and he says, hey, listen, Deepa. He says, listen, Deepa, I need you to uh, uh, go to the liquor store before we leave. I said, why is that dream? Um, or yes, sir, whatever. I said, he said, well, it's, uh, it's imperative that you, uh, that you get what I tell you. And I said, yes, sir, just tell me, I'll, I'll get it. And he said, well, first you're going to get a cooler. Uh, I'll get one of those big coolers so it holds a lot of beer. And I said, okay, Dream. He said, I want you to get the giant, uh, a case of Budweiser. I want you to get me two six-packs of Lone Star. And he said, you driving, so you can only have one six-pack, whatever kind you want. And he said, I want you to get two bottles of Crown Royal, get the best Crown, get the biggest bottles of Crown Royal they get. Get two of them, and he handed me a few hundred dollars. And he pause for a minute and he says, oh, uh, by the way, BP said, get a small cooler because it's going to be cold tonight. I hope you understand that it's going to be very cold. And, and, uh, 
I said, uh, yes, sir. Uh, he said, well, I got a McDonald's cup or whatever. We'll just pee in the cup and dump it in the cooler. <laughs> so everything was cool. You know, you got to be cool with the dream. I mean, I'm just starting still, you know, I'm still a year or so into the business, two years. And, uh, um, Watson's territory was great at the time, but he always put, uh, Andre and Dusty with me and we always traveled together, as I said. So, um, Andre gets in the car. We leave at whatever specific time we were supposed to leave at. And as we start heading north, you can see all the snow on the side of the ground because it's getting colder and colder. And it already had snowed and the snow hadn't melted, but it's getting colder and colder and colder. And I'm waiting for them to tell me to turn the heater up, but I'm not saying anything until they do. And my defrosters worked so I could kind of artificially make it look like the heater was working and keep the window clear enough to drive. Sure. So I had the defroster on it, and we're driving along, and the giant, before we get there, he had already drinking a, a whole bottle of Cromwell, the whole bottle. I don't know how many beers he had. I don't know how many dust he had. I didn't have any because uh, I wait, wanted to wait till after the match. I'm always trying to think and keep my composure and make sure I'm a gentleman and listen 90% of the time, if not 99% of the time. But uh, it was some of the greatest stories I've heard listening to. Dusty and uh, the giant go back and forth and tell these fabulous stories. So uh, we get to green, uh, to the arena and Dusty said, um, people listen, uh, we're going to be on last. You'll probably be on first or second. And uh, as soon as you're done, he said, you go into that con, make sure it's really warm. <laughs> I said, yes, sir. Drink. I said, I'll do that. And um, so uh, I got, I'm in the car. I got the defroster on. I had, taking a quick shower, wanted to make sure somehow I could get that car warm. Um, and here comes, uh, matches are over. Here comes the dream giant. Finally, they jump in the car. They're laughing about something. Andre's got his towel around his uh, neck. Dusty jumps in, like, immediately grabs a Lone Star, and we start traveling back. And it is cold, David. It is so cold, brother. I mean, it's cold. And... Uh, Dusty all of a sudden he goes, God damn, be it's cold in here, man. Turn that heat on. I said, Yes, sir, dream. So I'm playing with the buttons like I'm turning the heater up hotter. And Andre's just going, oh, 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 oh. You know, he's just that big beat laugh. Oh, oh, oh. And we're driving along, you know, and uh, 50 miles pee, 75 miles pee. Somebody's peeing in the cooler. Somebody's peeing in the cooler. Dusty's sitting right in the back, right in the middle, just laughing and playing bartender. And. I had a couple of beers and I'm laughing with him and uh, we're still peeing and somebody said something that was hilarious, Dusty or, or Andre, and it made Andre laugh so hard that he goes forward on uh, towards my dashboard. He was laughing so hard, holding his belly, and the dream had just got done peeing and had the cooler on his on his lap, and and as Andre goes backwards, he the my seat breaks the, and it crushes the cooler on Dusty's lap oh. and the all over him. I mean, everywhere, all over him. And uh, he's going, God damn, people, I can't believe you just pissed on the American dream, man. You're going to be blackballed. You'll never work again. And he just cut a promo on me, and Andre oh. was laughing so hard. It was hilarious. Well, the next week, we're in Louisiana, in Shreveport, and uh, Bourbon Street. And I don't know if you remember, I don't know if it's still there, but there was a place that had these legs that swing out 
prior to, uh, to attract you to come in. I'm sure it was like a gentleman's bar. And, uh, so we go into uh, Felix's first and eat a bunch of oysters and drink a bunch of beer. And uh, Andrea had saw this thing and he wanted to go inside there. So, um, you know, naturally we're going to do what the boss wants. Yes, sir. And on the way, on the way, I said, uh, I got to pee real quick. Does he be right back? So I, I run, he goes, come on, come on right now. We got to go now, now. So I said, okay. So I get behind him and, we're all three together now as we walk, we're starting to walk up the stairs. This is a giant first, dusty second, and I'm third on the stairs. And it's a, it's a stairwell where it comes to a, a flat. Um, the first stair goes to a flat platform, and then you go hard right straight up to the next set of stairs that takes you into the club. So we're walking up the stairs, and all of a sudden the lights go out, pitch black. And I hear Andre go, hold on to your poker. <laughs> and, you know, he's thinking we're going to get robbed. So, uh, uh, Dusty, Andre was already on the platform. Dusty worked his way up there, and I worked my way up there, and we still can't see. We're kind of feeling around, and there's all kind of jibber jabbering going on in between. And I, I remembered that palm tree right there, so I grabbed that palm tree leaf. I pull my pants down and I start peeing because I can't take it no more. And now these lights have been out now for at least three minutes and I'm, I'm kind of scared, but you know, I had to pee. So I peed, uh, as soon as I, I pee, I pull up my pants, boom, boom. All of a sudden, maybe five seconds later, the lights pop on and I see the uh, dust going, God damn, God damn. Well, you know, he always tucked his Levi's into his cowboy boots, right. and it wasn't the palm tree. It wasn't the palm tree I was peeing on. It was his <laughs> leg. All, all that pee went into his cowboy boot, and it fills up his cowboy boot. <laughs> and Andre sees this. He pulls his cowboy boot and dumps his the pee out of his cowboy boot. He said, "People, that's two times. That three times. You're blackballed the rest of your life. You'll never work again. You'll never work again." And I never saw the giant laugh so hard in my life. I mean, he laughed and laughed and laughed and used to love to tell that story. He must have. He yeah, must. Thank yeah. you for telling that. That's great. He must have. Uh, Dusty must have really liked you because uh, uh, somebody he didn't like would have really been blackballed for pissing on him twice in a week. <laughs> You know, I didn't, but the first time, even though he blamed me, yeah, I know. it wasn't, it wasn't my fault, but he did blame me, <laughs> but you're right. I guess he did like me. Uh, uh, you know, we always got along, Dusty and I, but, uh, surely miss him, but we had a lot of fun times together. Speaking of that territory, is it true? I was doing some research for this and, uh, you know, you can't believe everything you read on the internet. Is it true that you got shot at by Leroy McGurk? Absolutely. Wasn't he Absolutely. blind, so, which might have helped you, actually, if he was shooting at that? It, it, it saved my life. Well, uh, the first time I went into um, Michael's home, Michael Kathleen, his daughter's home, um, you know, he wouldn't didn't want her to date wrestlers. And of course, uh, anyway, um, he walked right past me, and I wasn't sure he was really blind or if it was at work or what. And he had his arms out and he almost touched me and I thought, I'm busted, I'm busted. But, you know, he missed me. So, yes, he was definitely blind. Um, you know, I got married at a young age, 21 years old, and was uh, only married to a year. Um, 
And even though I'm still friends with Mike, she's uh, a very nice person. She was just very jealous. And we were very young, and it just didn't work out. So anyway, um, <laughs> so um, where was I going with this now? He shot at you. Like I'm, 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 oh, yeah. So, so um, we decided to get a divorce. We get a divorce. And I'm leaving, going to live with the Von Erics and uh, David Von Eric because they had invited me. We got to be really good friends, and uh, they'd come in and work for the Oklahoma Territory, and I'd go down and work for Texas a little bit. And um, uh, so anyway, I pulled into, all I left was with my boat and my Letterman's jacket. and my No, I didn't get my Letterman's jacket. I got my boat, uh, my Great Dane, and $500. I had put $78,000 into the house, gave that up. Just, I just wanted out. And um, so I knew I had a place to stay at Von Eric's and just wanted to say goodbye. So I pulled the car up into the driveway and uh, in the city, the house in the city of Tulsa, and I go knock on the door. And everybody says, who is it? Well, the night before, I had beat Doug Summer's ass because, uh, you know, he was tagging the old lady riding with me while, you know, whenever we were in the process of the divorce, which wasn't cool to me. Right. And when I found out about it, I I beat his ass so bad that it tore his whole office up. Um, not totally, but it, it, a lot of his plaques and things on the walls were, were gone. And uh, he starts cussing at me, you know, because he heard his office got beat up and I beat up, up Summers, whatever, but he started cussing at me and da-da-da-da-da, get that out here, get da 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 a whole bunch of explicit ad- adjectives that I won't go into, so I go back to my car really dejected because I just wanted to say goodbye uh, to Michael. And uh, I go to the back door, I mean, around to, to the back to see what's up, and I look through this little blind and I see like a mummy laying on a couch. Well, Michael was there feeding Doug Summers, uh, spooden feeding him some soup, oh, and his whole his whole head was complete. He was completely bandaged. I'm serious. He looked like a mummy. So again, now this breaks my heart. Uh, you got to know how bad that's got to feel. So I go back around to the front door and I knock again, and all of a sudden the door opens and I see Leroy's got a gun in his hand. And now he's reaching for the screen, pointing the gun at me, and I jump behind. You know, when you when the it's kind of I think you can envision this. It's like a uh, there's like a the front of the house, and then when you there's like an indentation where the door is. Right. So and there's a like a sidewalk that'll take you right up to the door. But then when he went to go to that screen door, and I saw he he had a gun and he was aiming at me. I jump behind the 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 front of the house there and just as i jumped behind bam the gun went off and he almost hit his lincoln continental i see this uh stuff fly up on front of his wheel and he actually tried to shoot me so i just got in my car and cried for about 100 miles left got to david's uh house and uh i was uh the rest is history. <laughs> but yeah, wow. he did try to kill. Wow. I wasn't sure if that was true. So uh so you hang out with the Von Erics for a while. Was I'm assuming that was at the height of uh Von Eric mania in Dallas? 
Uh, yes, it was. I mean, it was fabulous. I, I, my uh, wife and I just went and saw uh, Kevin and Pam in Kauai um, this uh, past summer. We're going to go again. He's got a beautiful 31-acre estate in Kauai right on the beach. I mean, it's, it's like the most unbelievable place out of paradise that you've ever been to. And so we still get along. Kevin's like a brother to me. Um, the Von Erics were like brothers. Fritz would put a $100 bill in my paycheck every week to watch out for his sons. I don't know if that was a good idea, but he figured I was a great influence and was, and he treated him and Doris both treated me like a, a son. Unfortunately, Carrie had some bad situations and it's hard to believe that, um, you know, Jackie, their first son got electrocuted in the pool and Chris, uh, uh you know, once David died in Japan, you know, everything kind of unraveled with the whole family. It was, you know, David was really like the, oldest son, even though Kevin was, David was considered by the family as like the, the real leader. And when he passed it, uh, it was very difficult, you know, it was really, really difficult for them. And so Chris had, Chris and Mike both had some health issues and of course they killed themselves and, and Carrie did as well, right on the property. I know exactly where he did it. And it was a very, very sad thing. And, um, um, you know, Kevin's a strong soul to be able to withstand all that happened. And, um, you know, Fritz and Doris wound up getting a divorce and there's a lot of tragedy in that family, but, uh, thank God Kevin is, uh, alive and well. Yeah. And I know he has two sons that are doing, that are doing pretty well. But when you mentioned to me that he lived in paradise, that was my first thought was he deserves to live the rest of his life in paradise because he spent a lot of time in hell. Uh, uh, so, uh, I'm glad. I'm glad that he's. Uh, I hope that he's found some peace and and paradise in his life because that, that was a, a horrible story. Uh, you can make you can't make that kind of stuff up. Obviously, no, no, you can't. You can't. And uh, you know, uh, I got I got involved really heavy with the Cauliflower Alley Club. I went there in 2001, and um, I've just always had a a real passion for my peers. Um, I don't think there's you know, even though I've had. Uh, five or six shoots, um, which are kind of pretty interesting. I never started one, but I never lost one, um, with different guys. Um, they all wound up being friends with me afterwards from Matt Bourne to, um, uh, Bobby Jaggers and, uh, Moondog Spot, of course, Doug Summers, um, uh, a couple others in there. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, one of, uh, Rick Flair's favorite fights. He loves to describe the fight between Matt Bourne and I, uh, when Matt first came into WWF at a bar and, uh, killer Carl Cox. And, um, of course his real name, Herbie Gerwig. I love killer Carl Cox, and uh, Dick Murdoch and a whole bunch of, uh, Adrian Adonis. God bless those guys are all gone now. But, uh, uh Flair was there and Matt Bourne came up to me and I'll get back to the cauliflower. Eye club, but Matt Bourne came up to me and, uh, said, why are you messing with my girl? I said, what are you talking about, Matt? He said, why are you messing with my girl? And I said, I, and I did, honestly, I had no idea what he was talking about. I didn't even have a girl. So, um, all of a sudden, you know, I just said, Matt, you know, uh, just please, I, I'm not messing with anybody. I, I just want to mind my own business and have a good time. So I turn around and he sucker punches me. So then he picked me up and tried to, um, take me down from, uh, suplex me from behind. 
So when he went to suplex me from behind, I spun and wound up on top of him on the ground and he grabbed my hair and, and started pulling my head down and I could see his teeth. He was trying to bite my nose and as he got it closer there, I reached and grabbed his lip and I bit his lip off. Oh, his whole bottom lip. He had plastic surgery, spit his lip out and, um, um, just wound up, you know, beating him pretty good. But the guy's the I most resilient so. guy. I, I, the guy's the most resilient guy I've fought before. Uh, you know, about five minutes later, all of a sudden, boom, he hurt. He sucker punches me again from behind. I thought he was gone. Comes in, bleeding all over the place. Got a thing around his face, uh, blood everywhere. And boom, 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 did it again. Um, nobody broke it up or anything. Uh, just They just watched it. And uh, everybody was kind of into it. And um, he went down and he got up again, third time. As I, I said, I'm, I'm leaving, guys. I can't even say goodbye. And boy, he jumps on my back as I'm getting ready to leave. And we start fighting again and knocked him against the wall. And then I said, I'm taking him outside now. So I'm dragging him outside. And as I'm dragging him, somehow I, I tripped. And as I tripped, um, Matt, he, this is how tough that guy was. He reaches up. And he starts to stick his finger in my eye. And as he did, I, Ivan Koloff was there and Ivan kicks his hand and said, no eyes. And um, so, so, so not to interrupt you, but lips are okay, but no eyes. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. I don't know. But uh, anyway, uh, Matt finally, uh, a couple people took him away and he was gone. And yeah. I just turned around, went back in the bar and had a good time. So, um, life is, uh, uh, very interesting on the road for a wrestler as, uh, you know, and, uh, most of the guys in the business know, but, um, I always figured, you know, once a colleague, always a colleague. And when I got honored at the Cauliflower Alley Club in 2001, um, I, en- I enjoyed this group so much because what, what I found out they did was all the money that they raised, they gave to, um, guys, anybody from a wrestling announcer to um, a referee or to a wrestler, the, anybody that made a living in the wrestling business falls on bad financial times. Uh, the Cauliflower Alley Club is always there to pick them up financially as a gift in which they never had to return. So I got more and more into it because the reunions are such a good time. I mean, it's a blast. It's not so much fun for me anymore as it used to be because I'm so business and I you know, make sure I take care of everybody and everything's got to be perfect. I'm kind of a perfectionist. So the 53rd reunion coming up April 30th through May 2nd, uh, is going to be off the chart. Um, and again, that's what we do. Um, I've only missed a few, uh, I've been president since, uh, before the 50th and this is our 53rd coming up president and CEO. And, um, we run a tight ship and we've uh, doubled our, our income, doubled our output to the boys and, uh, doubled our membership all in three and a half years. So things are going good. And we have a tremendous lineup for the, uh, 2018 53rd reunion. And, um, we got great deals at the hotel. You can call the gold coast hotel. I mean, you can get all the information on our website at, uh, cauliflower alley club.org. Um, you have to get your uh, reunion ticket, which is $125 for the, 
for everything. I mean, to two dinners, uh, watching two honorary dinners where we honor, um, several people, um, which I'll name in a second, but, um, it includes all these great seminars. There's one on the territories this year. That's going to be awesome. And Ron Hutchison, uh, puts those on. We have a tremendous board that volunteers all their time and energy at no cost, uh, no charge to the club. We all even pay for our own tickets, our own reunion ticket, our own flights, everything. Um, hotel, we don't, we don't get a penny from the Cauliflower Alley Club. It's just done out of the love of our hearts. But uh, it's it's one of the greatest things. We'll sell out this year again um, for the third year in a row. And um, we're honoring Baron Von Raschke with the Iron Mike Award. Um, uh, Shawn Michaels is winning the Luthez Award. Wow. The Tag Team Awards going, going to Harlem Heat. Uh, referee awards going to Mickey J. We have the men's wrestling award, uh, which is the one I won in 2001 going to Greg Valentine and, uh, uh women's wrestling award to Santana Garrett, uh, the rising star award to Kevin Cross, uh, independent wrestling award to Tony storm, uh, princess Victoria is being honored. There's a posthumous award, uh, for more Roy McClarity. Um, Rickhouse Brown will be there and, Guy, you know, Brickhouse, I got a call from Rocky Johnson, told me about Brickhouse who had stage two cancer. And, uh, by the, you know, that's what he thought. But when I called him, finally, when, uh, got a hold of him, he actually had stage four prostate cancer and he was only being treated with pain pills. He had no money. Couldn't, he was about to lose the $100 a week room that he was living in. His eyesight's going bad. And the doctor had given him maybe six months to live. So, you know, this just tore my heart up and I heard of Brickhouse Brown, never met the guy. I can't wait to hug him and just, uh, we've turned into such great friends. I know he broke in in Florida with Matt Suter. You know, I figured he was a good guy. He's turned out to be a great guy, although we've yet to meet. He went to the first doctor. The doctor said, um, you know, he was very, very, very humbly grateful and he, calls me up uh, after the first doctor's appointment and he says, Brian, you're not going to believe this. He said, uh, uh, they want to remove my testicles. This doctor wants me to, to remove my testicles tonight at seven o'clock. Uh, I said, you're kidding me. And he says, no, what should I do? I said, you call another doctor and get a second opinion. He said, well, you guys paid 500 and some odd dollars for this doctor's appointment. I don't want to waste it. He said, nah. I said, Rick, don't worry about that. Uh, I, I'll tell you what. I'll take care of it. I'm going to find you the best doctor in Jackson, Mississippi. So, uh, our legal counsel, uh, one of our lawyers, um, and they're all volunteers as well. Bruce Starr calls around and, um, finds a tremendous doctor and, uh, Rick House goes to him and, you know, we paid for the doctor's fee, but the only thing now he had been trying to get, um, uh, Medicaid and, um, uh, disability for a few months, but it wound up taking him a total of nine months to get that, which kind of upsets me when I know you can walk across the border illegally and get it for free. And here's a red blooded American that paid taxes and worked his butt off and it's taken him nine months. He's got stage four cancer, please. Um, so the second doctor does a, uh, uh, tissue test, just going through his penis and getting a sample. And, um, he didn't have to have his testicles removed, but he needed, immediate uh radiation and chemotherapy and all that stuff so the cauliflower alley club paid for all that stuff for him and um he went from a uh 
six-month death, death sentence to uh, weighing 142 pounds down from 248. When I talked to Brick last, he was, uh, which was just a week ago, he was 204 pounds. Um, the cancer is almost gone. Wow. Uh, the only problem is with, with his eyesight, but that's what the club does, and that's why my heart's so into it, uh, David. Yeah, I was going to bring it up, uh, you know, later on, but uh, it's a great uh, labor of love for you, I know, and a great organization, and uh, so uh, I need to make it out there one of these days, and I'm, I'm going to try to see if I can make it out uh, maybe this year because it sounds like you got a stacked lineup. So uh, definitely urge any of the fans that might be on the bubble or haven't heard uh, any listeners that haven't heard of a cauliflower alley club or might be on the bubble about becoming a member, even if you can't go to the, to the, uh, the convention, uh, just becoming a member helps out guys like Brickhouse, uh, uh, you know, and saves lives, obviously. So great work that you do, Brian. And, uh, I know that you're not in it for the, you know, for people to patch on the back. You're in it for the brick houses to, to give you a hug, uh, six months after the doctor said they've been dead, they'd be dead. So. Great work. Amen. All they, thank you, David. And all they have to do is go to cauliflowerallyclub.org and you can join for as little as $25 for a year, $50 for two years. You can become a life member for $300. You get all kinds of stuff with those memberships as well uh, from four award-winning four-color news uh, letters that you can't find on the internet uh, each year. Uh, you also get a, a certificate suitable for framing. I'm in my awards room right now and I turn around that's like my favorite award um, from the Cauliflower Alley Club. If you look at Jack Briscoe's obituary, just Google it. Um, they list five different accomplishments uh, from Jack, and two of the five accomplishments are awards from the Cauliflower Alley Club, besides winning the national champion, being the world's uh, heavyweight champion, NWA world's heavyweight champion, and uh, one other accomplishment, plus the fact that he won the Luthez Award and men's wrestling uh, from the Cauliflower it's a, it's a great organization, David. It's just like Legends Lunch. We all love meeting there. It's a great time. We all have a good time. So anyway, um, cauliflowerallyclub.org, please join. 25 bucks. Be doing a favor for everybody. Yes, sir. I agree. A couple more questions if you have a few more minutes. Uh, you were talking about getting in fights, and uh, you didn't mention uh, the Iron Sheik, but you became very famous uh, uh, and I'm sure everybody asks you this, but I've yet to, to hear the story. So uh, uh, if you could give me a quick background, if you even know uh, what that, that rant was about, that's become, uh, that went viral before viral was viral, uh, where he was going to make you humble, uh, quote unquote. Uh, do you have any idea where that came from and what's the backstory? Well, the backstory is we were in Hershey, Pennsylvania, and the Sheik, he used to like to shoot with me once in a while, which was cool. And he, was proud that nobody could ever stretch him and, or make him tap out. Well, he uh, went to put me in a front face lock and he did. And he started ascension down. And as he did that, I was in the right position to come out of it with a double wrist lock. And all of a sudden he's screaming, ah, let me go. You know, in the sheik's voice, let, let me go. Yeah. You double, let me go. Ah, and I said, tap. So he taps and Nikolai's laughing at him. I mean, so uh, I think Nikolai rubbed him so hard that, the, you know, he just never let that rest. And, you know, then he became a regular on Howard Stern. So Howard Stern kept trying to get me on the show. And as you know, I was, 
you know, county commissioner in Hillsborough County, which is a, it's really a huge job. People don't realize to be an at-large county commissioner in our, in the county we live in, Hillsborough County has 1.3 million people, which is larger than 10 other states. So it's like running for governor of 10 other states. Sure. So, you know, I had to be careful what I did. And I knew if I got on Howard Stern's show that I was going to get buried somehow. And uh, it's, it's hard enough being a conservative um, in, a, in a liberal newspaper world. So, um, you know, I had to think about my family and kids and things like that, which was already politics is, you know, uh, uh, it's a full contact sport, brother. I mean, it is brutal. Um, fake news is true. Uh, absolutely true. And your opponents will lie and, and there's a bar set so high in order to sue them. It's almost impossible because you're considered a, a public figure. And once you get into that public figure place, you know, it's hard to cross that line when two public figures are going at each other. I was going to ask you, anyway, that, was, that, was, that was my next question. Uh, uh, the transition from wrestling to politics, uh, uh, any similarities to the being in the wrestling business and uh, what are they and uh, what are the differences from the wrestling business that stood out to you? Well, there's a, there's a few differences. I first started getting into politics when uh, Jesse and I had adjoining rooms at our apartments at uh, uh, next door, we were next door and I could open the door and uh, we could unlock both doors uh, from both sides and, just have one big room and he had this little dog, uh, bulldog named Arnold, but we used to drive together and Geiger and them would have killed us if he would have found out we were driving. But, uh, uh, anyway, he, we'd drive down the road and Jesse always had dip in his, uh, bottom of his lip and we'd talk about, you know, mostly he would talk. I would listen most of the time, but he could, he had all the answers to solve the world's problems. And I was listening, so we get into politics and stuff a lot, and I got an interest then. And finally, uh, I, I've always done community service in Hillsborough County. I've coached baseball for 20 seasons, football for I don't know how many seasons, wrestling. I started the first PAL wrestling um, uh, camp for kids, which lasted several years, and um, do lots of speak. I've spoken at. 80% of the schools in Hillsborough County. And I enjoy mentoring kids and just helping people in general, but, um, uh, because I've been blessed. I mean, I figure I owe that to my friends and I, I just really do appreciate my friends and, and the kids. If you can just help one kid, you know, you've done a great job. Absolutely. So, you know, naturally that morphed, in, morphed into politics, David. And, um, um, the, the, the real difference, you know, politics, people are going to, they're going to shoot on you. And, and sometimes, you know, those, uh, those verbal punches hurt much worse than some of those potatoes. Um, because they, it's a trickle down effect, you know, then your family feels it and they don't understand it's politics. You know, it causes strife and causes uh, problems, especially when you have young kids that don't understand it. So, um, you know, and with, uh, you travel around the county a lot. And like I said, Hillsborough County is a big county. As a matter of fact, it's 1,078 two-point square miles. And Rhode Island's a little over 1,200. So, you know, we've got a county about the size of the state of Rhode Island. And, um, you know, wrestling's got the traveling and, and stuff like that. But, um, you know, you can do a lot more and be free and be yourself in wrestling, express yourself the way you want to. And then politics, uh, 
you got to try to be uh, PC, um, which I never really did like, but I still um, conform to that the best I could. But a lot of people don't realize, you know, you, you deal with a $5 billion budget every year, billion with a B. Right. And, and you might determine all the policies for the county, the taxes, the rates, the fees. You deal with your three municipalities, Tampa, Temple Terrace, and Plant City. And um, it's, a, it's a very big job. You're on several boards. And, I, ha- I you know, it takes four, bo- four votes to convince anybody. But I came up with ideas that saved the county uh, over a billion dollars during a 10-year period, which anybody that owns a, a, a house, I got the taxes millage rate reduced so much because we pay millage in Hillsborough County on our taxes and we get the millage rate reduced uh, so that if you owned a, a $100,000 home assessed at $100,000 over a 10 year period, you saved $1,500. Well, that may not sound like a lot to some people, but um, you know, I'd rather have $1,500 in my pocket than nothing. Sure. And, um, rather than having your taxes raised, which they always want to do, you know, in government, they want to throw money at the problem rather than come up with innovative ideas. Like I got a national award for, uh, um, coming up with, uh, senior zones, which is basically a school zone on steroids. So politics and, uh, uh, wrestling have a lot of similarities, but, uh, there's a lot of differences as well. I want to wrap things up. I appreciate your time and it's been, uh, it's been a lot of fun. Um, well, I want want to talk about your comic book. I saw this at a, a little fan convention that I helped promote here in uh, for Championship Wrestling from Florida fans, and it's super cool. It's a it's a you know we talked about your career. We didn't even hit the killer bees. We'll have to uh, uh, see if we get you on down the road. Uh, uh, talk about the killer bees. You and Jumpin' Jim Brunzel, and and uh, uh, still known to this day and. Uh, hopefully, uh, we'll be in the Hall of Fame, WWE Hall of Fame, sometime soon because you guys deserve it. And uh, but you have this comic book that it's 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 uh, you know an action kind of uh, killer bees comic book uh, for collectors, but it tells your true stories of how you got into the business, the stories in Oklahoma and his stories in Minnesota, and and uh, it's really cool. So um, I, I just wanted you to be able to tell people where they could get it if. Uh, and a little bit about it because I, I thought it was really, I'm not a comic book guy and I know there are a lot of people that are, but I thought it was super cool when I saw it. Well, thank you, David. Uh, we enjoyed it. Uh, Brunsies comes out uh, real soon here. Mine's out now and it tells how uh, we, it's a true story. Like you just said, all the way up to uh, sitting down uh, at the end, I'm sitting with Hogan and uh, he's telling me about a guy named Jim Brunzel and his will end when with something similar because Hogan is the one that got us together. And, um, you can get them at the killer bees.net and that's T H E like the killer bees.net B E E S no apostrophe, the killer bees.net. And, uh, we also have masks. I mean, really high quality masks. I'm not talking about, you know, kids, I'm talking about the same kind that you do with mass confusion. You can go to the killerbees.net and get a killer bee mask for 22 bucks, bro. And that's a deal and a half because the mask I have cost 120 some odd dollars a piece. Yeah. Um, uh, it's, uh, it's really, uh, uh, it's a great, it's a great little story. So you can get the comic book there. You'll love the comic book. Uh, you'll love all the stuff on there. Uh, there's great deals. There's no shipping. If you're in the U S um, uh, they're high quality. Everything I have is made in America. Um, go 
good stuff. Um, I was going to, if you got time for one more story. Sure. Always. Okay. I'll give you one quick story. And, uh, uh the story hasn't been told to me. I think one time I told this story, but I actually have this on tape. So I get a call. I owned all the gold's gyms. If you recall, um, right. in Hillsborough County and I'm, still going to Japan, working in Japan and the tapes are still uh, going around in the third world countries. And uh, I get a call from India and check it all out. Well, I had already been there once and uh, this would be the second time. So the guy calls up and um, I talked to him and uh, Hal Jeffries had just called me and I needed some help. So I got Hal. Hal tells this story better than I do, but Hal uh, uh, comes and uh, we put together this tour and uh, Dylan puts a caveat to the whole tour that Rhonda Singh has to come. So I said, why Rhonda? He goes, I'm, he goes, Brian, I am so in love with her. She is so beautiful. I said, I'm thinking to myself, really? I mean, you know, okay, beauty's in the behind, eye of the beholder. I mean, God bless Rhonda. She's probably one of the smartest, uh, most loving people I can ever remember. Uh, just tremendous, because when she does this rib, it is uh, just off the chart. And again, I have this on film, so as the story unfolds. We bring Rhonda, we get to Singapore, and uh, it's Cuban assassin, warlord Terry Zapinski, um, uh, Nasty Ned, um, uh, God, uh, Bam Bam Bigelow. Um, but anyway, I'm at, let me shorten it down a little bit. Um, I'm at uh, breakfast at this nice hotel, and uh, uh, Dylan comes up to me this first time. Uh, you know, we're really going to sit down and talk business about the towns and all that and how we're going to do the matches and things. And he says, uh, Brian, Brian, what about Rhonda? How, how am I going to get to Rhonda? I said, well, Dylan, you need to talk to her, but I just need to tell you something. Um, don't do it around Bam Bam because, you know, they're an item. <laughs> he said, an item? What, what do you mean? I said, boyfriend, girlfriend. He said, no, that's impossible. Bang, bang's married. Uh, I said, well, you know, I mean, I, I don't, you know, that's not my business, uh, whatever. And um, he said, oh, no. He says, no, you still think Rhonda come with me? And I said, oh, yeah, I'm sure, don't It'll happen, it'll happen. And he'd ask me, you know, every day, this went on for like three, four days. Rhonda, 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 Rhonda. So it just so happens we're in Madras, India. And all the boys are on the same floor and Rhonda is in a room and to the left of her room facing it is Dylan's room. And, uh, to the right of her room is Bam Bam's room. <laughs> so we get Dylan. I mean, uh, we get uh, Rhonda to call Dylan on the phone and pretend like she's really got the hots for him. And we gave her a list of things that, you know, we wanted him to buy and we wanted to make sure he got blindfolded and taped up so we could come film this. So she's talking the best crap that you've ever heard. I mean, it, uh, she was a master at it. And, and Dylan's just going crazy, male crazy on the other side of the line. But he has, she has him get a bottle of Johnny Walker Black, which was over $150, uh, some athletic tape, um, shaving cream, uh, a razor. Um, I forget what else was on the list, but she calls him back and, you know, uh, tells him what she wants and all that. And he said, Oh, whatever he says. And Rhonda hangs up and says, he's getting all of it. I said, great. Well, what's 
going to happen? Well, he's going to call me when, um, when to come to his room. And I said, okay, well, listen, this is what you do. Nasty Ned's got this nice camera and we're going to open when you come, when you go in and after you kind of talk to him and get him warmed up, whatever you got to do, get him blindfolded and then tell him you need something from your room that you left something and, uh, go get it real quick and then leave the door open, leave the door cracked when he's blindfolded. So, cause she already told him, you know, that she was going to blindfold him, tape him up. He had already agreed to everything. <laughs> and so she goes and gets whatever she was going to get, comes back. And, um, <laughs> so she's got Dylan on this bed with, uh, two end tables and he's taped to either end table with his arms totally blindfolded. And I'm telling him he looks like a woolly mammoth. He's got so much hair, dark, thick, long hair. And I mean, you can all barely see a nub there uh, for a penis. And, uh, you know, he's, <laughs> he's Rhonda's working that man. I mean, she's doing all kinds of stuff, talking some really wild stuff. And all of a sudden about three inches peak up and Dylan's getting aroused. And Rhonda gets that scotch and starts, uh, Pouring it on him, and he's, she's going, Rhonda, Rhonda, don't waste the scotch. You drink some. Drink more, drink more. You don't waste it. It's $150. She said, okay, I'll drink some. So she takes a shot, and um, now she says, okay, and whatever she's doing, she spray, sprays shaving cream all over him. He says, why do you do that? She said, because I like it. It turns me on. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Then you see it on film. It's the most hilarious thing, David. I will show it to you, I promise. And it's, all of a sudden, she's just, we have literally snot coming out of our nose trying to keep from laughing so he doesn't hear us. So all of a sudden, now he's getting aroused again. And, you know, when the time's right, I give the office, in comes Bam Bam Bigelow. He slams the door open, jumps on the bed and says, Dylan, what are you doing with my old lady? All of a sudden, his right arm comes up and the athletic tape snaps and he curls in a ball and he's going, bang, 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 this is a dream. This is not real. This is a dream. It's not real. I promise. And he's crying. And Bam Bam's, you know, just putting the probe, laying the promo on him and he's crying and he won't stop saying it's a dream. It's a dream. <laughs> it's just in the corner and that girl's laughing so hard. I mean, she just did such a fabulous job. When you see this on tape, I guarantee it's the funniest rib ever captured on, uh, on tape. Do I have to see the nub? You did have you, to, to watch did, the whole thing. Did you like black that out for me? <laughs> It's like ugly. It should be blacked out. Hey, hey, did did hey did did Rhonda at least give the guy a tug for his troubles like the next night or something? <laughs> I won't go any. The next day, he came up to me again with Sunday breakfast. He comes up and uh, Blenzy uh, was yeah Blenzy was there. I think yeah Blenzy was there. He sure was. And uh, uh, he says uh, Brian. I did such a bad thing last night. I said, what happened, Dylan? She listened to me like I didn't know. I said, what happened, Dylan? He says, well, uh, I don't know what happened. He said, I was, thought I was having a dream, but it was maybe real. He said, bang, bang, saw me with Rhonda. Now I'm afraid everywhere I go uh, that he's going to kill me. I said, well, I'll talk to him, Dylan. What happened? And he, so he kind of explains it. I won't go into it. So then he says, I've got to go to the mosque to to pray and do my beads and uh, whatever he's got to do and ask for forgiveness uh, from Allah because he committed a horrible sin and 
he's trying to confess to me and I, I'm trying to keep from laughing. And it was <laughs> just the most hilarious thing. Oh, it's, well, it's hilarious. I, I know you can't talk about it, but I hope he got a little something for his troubles at the end of the tour. But, uh, sounds like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Hey, uh, Brian, I really appreciate it. You're a class act, uh, 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 great guy. And uh, I got it pulled up right here at caulifloweralleyclub.org. Uh, if any of the fans uh, want to become members uh, or even, you know, come and uh, see Shawn Michaels get inducted in uh, into their organization. And uh, I see Steve Kern's going to be inducted as well. And uh, everybody else you mentioned on that list. Yeah, so it's going to be fabulous. You've got to get your hotel, the $40 hotel room. You can't beat that in Vegas. And you need to make a reservation. Uh, the, the code is uh, right on the website uh, before March 25th to assure that you get the discounted room rate. And uh, you need to buy your uh, reunion ticket, which is $125, as soon as you can as well, because we'll sell out probably uh, a few weeks uh to a month uh, before we even have the show. So hope to see everybody there. I really appreciate being on City Ringside uh, with you, David Penzer, uh, your tremendous announcer, tremendous attribute to the business, and I uh, appreciate your friendship so much, and thank you for letting me be on the show. Maybe next time we can just talk about ribs and we can go to one of the 300 and some odd that I have. I want to thank Brian Blair and... Jeff Jarrett for a fun episode of City Ringside, and uh, we try to provide uh, some entertainment, tell some stories, and uh, go behind the curtain a little bit. And I hope uh, that you enjoy it. And uh, we're going to continue to do just that. I know some of the people that we've been talking to are Allie uh, from Impact Wrestling, uh, and she's uh, has some new been in the news lately about some of her struggles that are. Uh, similar to some of my struggles in, in life. And uh, so we're going to uh, maybe get a little serious, but we'll also tell some stories with Allie and uh, hoping for next week, but uh, we're going to try to put that together. Also spoke, had a conversation last night with Bill Alfonso. Fonzie, what a fun guy. Talk about telling stories. That guy could tell stories for two hours. So we just may do that, hoping to get Fonzie on. And uh, as we get closer to the legends of wrestling events in Augusta and Detroit, I'm hoping to get, uh, some guys on Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, uh, Ted DiBiase, um, even Sting. I know that there's a fan out there uh, who uh, who's dying for me to get Sting, and uh, so I'm hoping I can get Sting on this podcast uh, in the next couple of months. We're going to work hard to do it, but regardless of who we have, we always try to do something different than everybody else out there. If you enjoy what we do, uh, be sure to tell your friends, uh, tell your Twitter followers, uh, go to iTunes or your platform. Uh, be sure to subscribe to City Ringside, and if possible, give us a review. Uh, if not, be sure to uh, communicate with me on Twitter. I, I, as most people see, I like going back and forth and having some fun, answering questions and playing around a little bit. Uh, life is too short to take things seriously, so uh, like to have some fun at David Penzer or at Penzer Ringside. Uh, gonna try to keep this train rolling uh, as we go towards uh, WrestleMania, uh, and uh, that should be fun. The build is starting. Uh, Ronda Rousey uh, is uh, in the news, and we'll see what happens with uh, Roman Reigns and uh, Brock Lesnar uh, as we speak. There's some question marks on that match, and there's part 
Uh, a lot of people out there that probably wouldn't mind uh, some question marks on that match. So uh, maybe we'll get associate producer Mike Freeland uh, next week. Chat about the current news now that we got some news uh, in this business that I love called professional wrestling. But um, we're going to keep this train rolling. Uh, hope to see you uh, next week on City Ringside. Until then, I'm David Penzer. Have a good one. Follow David Penzer on Twitter at David Penzer. Also, make sure to follow the show on Twitter at Penzer Ringside. You've been sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. This is a Crush Performance Quick Fix on Radio Influence. Spring training, of course, well underway. Minor league camps have officially opened, and it is just a great time of year. A lot of stress down south. Don't get me wrong. Arizona and in Florida, not only at the free agent camp, the 31st spring training camp in Major League Baseball, which is incredibly bizarre. Like, I mean, just think about what we're saying here. You could take those free agents, the free agents that haven't signed this year, and you could go back to Montreal and field an incredibly competitive big league team. How about that? So the talent pool might be there for the expansion that the commissioner is talking about. Going into Montreal, potentially back to Canada and down into Mexico. One of the big questions was, is there the talent pool? Well, I think it's quite obvious the talent pool is there. So let's do it. Two more major league teams. How fantastic would that be? Crush Performance with the Crusher, Jeff Crushell, can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com.